I'd like to kind of walk through a little bit of what today is going to be like. Uh, you guys have been going through the book of Genesis. Uh, you've been looking at the different um, uh, patriarchs and, and how God has um, been involved with that, the dysfunction um, that reigns through these families. This is a rather long chapter, so rather than put you all to sleep and read the entire chapter and then go back through, I'm just going to kind of chunk it up a little bit. Um, and uh, going to kind of kind of walk through it. So um, first of all, let me just uh, start us off in a word of prayer, and then we'll jump into Genesis 31, and we'll begin in, in reading in uh, verse 1 there. God, I want to thank you for this time together with my brothers and sisters in Christ here at Redeemer. Lord, I want to thank you for the work that you are doing here. I want to thank you for calling the Johnson family and many others to be faithful to come and to be a part of this. I want to thank you, Lord, for those that have responded to continue to uh, join the flock and as they continue to minister the gospel here in Minunk and at their workplaces, in their homes, that, Lord, that you would go with them, that you would encourage their hearts. I pray that you would show us from your word what it is that you have for us today and, Lord, what we can learn and how we can be better servants of you. And just ask this in Christ's precious name. And the church said, Amen. Amen. All right, well, let's read first here in Genesis uh, 31. We're going to back up one verse, okay? So I, I feel like after listening to the last uh, several messages uh, on podcasts, looking at Eric's sermon notes, I, I feel like uh, it would be quite redundant for me to give you this huge backdrop into just that right before this passage that we're going to look into, uh, a real quick update is just that right before this passage that we're going to look into this morning, Jacob and Laban have struck this deal that um, Jacob's worked seven years for Rachel, which he got tricked and ended up being um, Leah. Then he worked another seven years for Rachel. And now he's been working for six years for Laban, uh, where all the, stri uh, the spotted and striped sheep are going to be Jacob's, um, and the rest will be Laban's. And then that is, is the deal that they're working on. So as that deal is happening, and as you have talked about last week, I just want to point out verse 43, which kind of sets the... And the man, that's Jacob, is foreshadowing of what's about to happen. And the man, that's Jacob, uh, after all this, um, uh, the sheep continue to uh, uh, grow in, in, in numbers, multitude. And the man became very rich. So this is Jacob. So now Jacob is very rich. He had many flocks, female and male slaves, camels and donkeys. Okay, so that's just kind of keep that in mind. That's, that's what has just happened. And we're going to jump right into verse 1 of chapter 31. Now Jacob heard what Laban's sons were saying. Jacob had taken all that was our father's and built this wealth. And what belonged to our father and Jacob, and what belonged to our belonged to our father. And Jacob saw from Laban's face that his attitude towards him was not the same as before. And the Lord said to him, go back to the land of your fathers and your family, and I will be with you. So what you have been looking at at this highly dysfunctional family um, throughout the several weeks, you have been reminded time and time again about... Um, uh, a couple of, of three, three main points, okay? Um, and these aren't mine. This is what Eric has been teaching you. God's blessings are, but he does redeem sinners out of our works. 
God never rewards sin, but he does redeem sinners. God works in our messes because our messes are all he has to work with. And we're going to continue to see in this chapter those themes continue to be true um, as you have been continuing to be reminded of that as you're going through the life of Jacob here um, and as, as God is working. I don't know about but you all, but there's a really famous country song, a little modern country song, you know, what might have been, right? And we could sit here and talk all night long about what might have been, all right? So I want you to really think a lot as, as you're thinking about Jacob, as you're thinking about um, of his family and what God has brought them through of what might have been. Um, instead, we're going to look at what ends up being the place. But when we, we jump into um, uh, uh, this chapter, one of the things we think about what might have been, a lot of times we think about things like, I know we had a house fire uh, several years ago. And the thought, first thought one person has was, what if I would have unplugged the dehumidifier the night before, then we wouldn't have had the fire. Some of you might think in your own life, what if I would have not said such and such to my really dear friend that ended up ending our friendship? What if I hadn't gotten the car after having too much to drink? And as human beings, that's how we tend to look at things is what ifs, what might have beens. And so um, as, we, as we look at um, this family, I want to take a short look at the very end of what might have been, and then what that means to us, how we can learn from uh, the what-ifs and what might have been. The Bible tells us in James 3.16, For wherever there is envy and self-ambition, there is disorder in every evil practice. And we see here, at the very beginning of chapter 31, Jake, Laban's sons become envious of Jacob. And thus begins the pushing out of Jacob away from Laban uh, because of envy. Because you got to remember, up to this point, Jacob has been the cash cow for Laban. I mean, life is roses for Laban. He has, uh, he has uh, Jacob, and whatever Jacob does turns to gold. And Laban is the one that gets the reward for all that. Jacob isn't the one that gets the reward from it. Now, wealthy man and envy. Now, Jacob becomes a very wealthy man, and envy and self-ambition sets in on Laban's sons. And Jacob says that now your father Laban looks different at me. So now Jacob is a threat to Laban. Now Jacob is a threat to his sons, his future. And Jacob is no longer someone that can just be taken advantage of. Jacob now has, has wealth. He has power. Um, and, and Laban and his sons are not appreciating that. Let's continue to read on. Verse 4 through 13. Jacob had Rachel and Leah called to the fields where his flocks were. He said to them, I can see from your father's face that his attitude towards me is not the same as before, but the God of my father has been with me. Remember that, the God of my father has been with me. You know that with all my strength I have served your father, and that he has cheated me 
and changed my wages 10 times, but God has not let him harm me. If he said the spotted sheep will be your wages, then all the sheep that were born spotted. If he said the streaked sheep will be your wages, then all the sheep that were born streaked. God has taken away your father's herd and given them to me. When the flocks were bleeding, I saw in a dream that the streaked, spotted, and speckled males were mating with the females. In that dream, the angel of God said to me, Jacob, and I said, here I am. And he said, look up and see all the males that are mating with the flocks are streaked, spotted, and speckled. For I have seen all that Laban has been doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you boiled oil on the stone marker and made a solemn vow to me. Get up, leave this land, and return to your native land. And so when we see this, Jacob is, is a very intelligent man. A lot of times Jacob gets, I don't know if that I'd say unfair because he, he is very mischievous, but he's also very bright. He's not stupid. And so he got all these people that have all come from Laban that are a part of his life. His wives, they were Laban's daughters. All of his wife's slaves came from Laban. There's all of these people that are around that have connections with Laban. And so out in the field where the sheep were was not a, uh, was not a glorified position. That was kind of like the grunt work and what wasn't seen as too respected, well-respected. And so Jacob's out there, so he asked for how he has a captive audience. He's got it. And so while they come out to meet with him, now he has a captive audience. He's got his sheep, and he has his two wives, okay? Now, I don't know about you all, but if I didn't know the rest of the story, I would think this is going to end up as a really bad situation because what we know about Rachel and Leah is they do not like each other. They're both envious and jealous of things that the other one has and all clamoring for Jacob. Oh, the poor life of Jacob. You know, and so here he calls these women out to the field and he tells them this dream that, that he's had and this word from God that he needs to leave. Um, and so uh, as, as he is doing this, let's look at what happens in verse uh, 14 through 16. Then Rachel and Leah answered him, do we have any portion or inheritance in our father's family? Are we not regarded by him as outsiders? For he has sold us and certainly spent our purchase price. In fact, all the wealth God has taken away from our father belongs to us and to our children. So do whatever God has said to you. Okay. If there were commercials around during this time, and polygamy was okay, this would make for a wonderful commercial they've been waiting for. And it's one right at the Super Bowl that like everybody laughs at, and that's the commercial they've been waiting for. And it starts off with, your wife agreeing that her father has mistreated you. Oh, what a relief. Your wives agreeing that your father has been unfair to them as well. Exciting. When your wife's names are Rachel and Leah, and they agree on the same thing and want to work together with you, priceless. Okay, so this is it, man. This is the one time where Rachel and Leah are working together with Jacob. This is like... One mind, they all can get behind it. And what they all can get behind is that 
Laban has, takes advantage of everybody. Rachel and Leah see that like the dowry, the money that would have been set aside for their marriage, apparently what we, re, what we take from this is Laban has used that for his own. He has, tr- he has, tricked, uh, he has tricked Jacob. Now, if you're Leah, how does that make you feel that the man you're married to got tricked into marrying you, but he doesn't really love you, so he's willing to work another seven years to marry your sister, who he really loves, and your dad's the one that's like making all of this happen, okay? So there is not a lot of love for Laban, okay? Laban, not a good dude, okay? And so now they're all working together on the same plan, and so the sad thing is, is that while Jacob sees or hears from God and says, here I am, right? We all love that story of Samuel, right? Here I am, Lord. And then that's supposed to be the big spiritual moment. Well, unfortunately, as we're going to read, Jacob obeys God, but he kind of does it his own way and, and not necessarily in a way that um, is pleasing. But Jacob has gotten the first part done. He's gotten everybody on his side. Now, we, we're going to find out here in a little bit that Laban has gone off to shear sheep. And that was like a three-day-plus process. So they're long gone. So Jacob is taking advantage of the time while Laban is gone to get everybody together, to get all of their wealth, all of their livestock, and, and all the family, and move out. And so... Um, Jacob should have really had this mindset. Psalms 118.6 tells us that the Lord is for me. I will not be afraid. What can a mere mortal do to me? But Jacob has worked for Laban as Jacob's. Now remember, Laban's sister is Jacob's mom. Okay? So Jacob knows what this family is like. He knows what Laban is capable of doing. He has experienced the cold-heartedness of Laban, and he is afraid of Laban. So while he's being obedient to God, we're going to see here, he's more afraid of Laban. And so we'll look here at verse uh, 17 through 21 as we continue to read on. So Jacob got up, put his children and wives on the camels, He took all the livestock and possessions he'd acquired in Padan Aram, and he drove his sheep. Rachel stole her father's household, other Isaac. When Laban had gone to shear his sheep, Rachel stole her father's household idols. And Jacob delivered uh, Laban to the ram, not telling him that he was fleeing. He fled with all his possessions, crossed Euphrates, and headed for the hill country of Gilead. And so here we have Jacob has waited for the opportune moment. He's going to, uh, he's not a man of confrontation. With Esau, Jacob stole the birthright. He deceived his father and his mom helped him get out the back door while Esau was coming in the front door. When he gets here to Laban, Laban's gone off to shear the sheep. He is making sure that he is in control. He's made his exit and he's going out the back door. And he is making sure that he is in control of his situation, that he is controlling his environment, that he is obeying God in the way that makes sense to Jacob, that Jacob has control over. So 
one of the things to really pay attention to here is how powerful Jacob has become. This is an agricultural community. So for those of you that are farmers or, or you see the work of farmers, Jacob would have been one of those guys that is buying out everybody, cash running out everybody's fields. He's got the money to do so. He's got livestock here and here at this place. At the old Smith's farmstead, he's got that rented out. He's got everything. And one of the ways we know that is he's mounting everybody on camels. You had to have a lot of wealth to be able to have multiple camels, enough to, to transport your family with all these herds. So Jacob, on one hand, from an earthly standpoint, is a powerful man. He is set up to start wherever he wants to go and be considered a wealthy, powerful person. But he is also afraid of Laban, so he's also afraid of that. And what you'll get into later, um, that I don't want to get into too much because it's not a part of chapter 31, he'll also be running into the arms of his brother who he's terrified of. So Jacob is, from an earthly standpoint, Jacob is a father odd predicament. His brother is in front of him who wants to kill him, and his father-in-law will be behind him who is probably going to want to kill him. But he's been told what to do, and he wants to keep his wealth, and so he's figured out the best way to do it instead of just approach Laban face to face. So let's continue to read verse 22. On the third day, Laban was told that Jacob had fled. So he took his relatives with him, pursued Jacob for seven days, and overtook him, pursued, um, and overtook him to the hill country of Gilead. But God came to Laban the Aramean at a dream in the night. Watch yourself, God warned him. Don't say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. Okay, this is not 2022. This is not you do you, I do me. If you don't believe gods don't exist, that's cool. If you have a higher power, that's cool. Um, you know, some people have this uh, God of the Bible that they say they, they worship. That's not the way it was at this time. The way it was this time is that gods were real to everyone. They were all terrified of gods. Gods were usually territorial. They were usually to help with fertility, whether that was with their agriculture or whether that was with their families. And they did whatever they could to try to make the point happy so that their lives had a positive outlook. Even to the point of throwing babies into fire to try to appease a God, to show how sincere and how desperate they were for that God to give them a fertile crop or to continue to bless their family. What was unusual was to have one God who was supreme, who was not defined to a territory. And that is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and who Jacob would refer to as the God of my father and grandfather. Okay, And so Laban, when a deity shows up to talk to you, it's, it's not completely like it would be today. It's more like, oh, I better pay attention to whatever this deity has to say. But he's also got to be fearful because Jacob's God apparently is not restricted to territory where Jacob's from. He is going with Jacob. He is going before Jacob. And he warns Laban basically not to do any harm to Jacob. Let's continue to read on. When Laban overtook Jacob, Jacob had pitched his tent in the hill country, and Laban and his relatives also their tents in the hill country of Gilead. 
Laban said to Jacob, what have you done? You have deceived me, taking my daughters away like prisoners of war. Why do you secretly flee from me, deceive me and not tell me? I would have sent you away with joy and singing with tambourines and lyres. But you didn't even let me kiss my grandchildren and my daughters. You have acted foolishly. I could do you great harm. But last night, the God of your fathers had said to me, watch yourself. Don't say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. Now you have gone off because you long for your father's family. But why have you stolen my gods? Jacob answered, I was afraid, for I thought you would take your daughters from me by force. If you find your gods with anyone here, he will not live. Before our relatives point out anything that is yours and take it. Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen the idols. Okay, we're going to pause there just for a second. So if you look at verse 25 um, through verse uh, 28, or 20, yeah, through verse 28, this is the biggest passive-aggressive, give me a break, I have ever heard in my entire life. I mean, this makes uh, the old Jerry Springer show, I mean, stuff like that, just, I mean, it just makes it so far-fetched beyond that. You know, I mean, this is a guy who has deceived this guy to work for seven years to marry a different daughter, then had him work another seven years to marry a different daughter, has worked for six years so that he could actually have some possession of his own, has 10 times changed his wages, and this is supposed to be the same guy that says, um, you know, why did you secretly flee from me? Deceive me and not tell me. I would have sent you away with joy and singing with tambourines and lyres, but you didn't even let me kiss my grandchildren and my daughters. All right? So this is just a joke, okay? And you can tell how scared Laban is of God because he doesn't know how to have this conversation. So he only knows how to deceive. So he's going to try to turn on the charm, and that must work with Laban's wife. Um, But Jacob's not buying it. But he really throws Jacob for a curveball when he asks, and why did you take my gods? Which tells me that Laban was actually probably a little more concerned about his gods than he was the possessions that Jacob had taken, because those were important. And so, um, and so Jacob did not know that Rachel, whom he loved more than life, it's like, listen, whoever took him, you can... And so he's kind of caught off guard with this whole... He's like, listen, whoever took him, you can do to him whatever you want. You know, go ahead, look through everything. And so um, as we continue to read... Um, so Laban went into Jacob's tent in verse 33, Leah's tent and the tents of the two concubines, but he found nothing. When he left Leah's tent, he went into Rachel's tent. Now Rachel had taken Laban's household idols, put them in a saddlebag of the camel, and sat on them. Laban searched the whole tent and found nothing. She said to her father, Don't be angry, my lord, that I cannot stand up in your presence. I'm having my period. So Laban searched, but could not find the household idols. Okay? So, Laban thinks for sure he's going to catch Jacob red-handed. Now, 
it is really hard for me not to do what I really want to do every time I think about Jacob and stories like this and talk to you about Joseph and the flip side of so many of the same narratives. But you guys will get there. Um, but so when you're looking for something in a saddlebag that supposedly has been stolen or looking through the possessions, Rachel knows that at this time of life, if a woman was having her menstrual cycle, she was considered unclean. And so she was not to be around people. If you touched her, you became unclean. So the irony and the thing I love about God is that literally, if this is true that she was having her period and she is sitting on these gods, she has just made these gods unclean. Okay, so if you can't find a little humor and think that God doesn't have a sense of humor, then first of all, that a God is so powerful that he can be picked up and moved around wherever you want, and you can hide him, and whoever has him has the upper hand, um, let alone that they can become unclean because of a mortal, and for us, the things that's about the reality of the gods in that time, and for us, the things that sometimes we hold on to that becomes idols in our lives that have absolutely no power whatsoever when it comes to true power and eternal presence. And so, so now, here it is. Jacob has been practicing this speech for years. He has been out in the field working his heart off for, for, for Laban. And probably the only truly honest thing at this point that Jacob has done is that he truly loves God. Jacob has, say Jacob loves Rachel more than he loves the God of his fathers, God. Jacob has, as far as we know, been very honest with Laban as a worker for the things that he's been required to do because he wants Rachel. So he is not going to mess that up. So he has been very faithful. And Laban just keeps messing with the poor guy. He will not leave him alone. And so you can just tell, like any of you, and I'm sure this doesn't happen to any of you, whether it's at church, whether it's your job, maybe it's a relationship with an in-law, you know, maybe it's that eternal passive-aggressive person that shows up every once in a while. <laughs> and as soon as they leave, you're just out in the garden or wherever else and like, oh, the things I do for you, I drive you here, I drive you there, and then you're going to complain that the water wasn't cold enough. And then you're going to do this and do that. You know, you can just tell that Jacob has been steaming and, and this has been pent up forever that he just has had this, in, this speech with Laban. He just dreams about it. Man, it's one day like, I'm just going to let him have it. And here he lets him have it in verse 36. Then Jacob becomes incensed and brought charges against Laban. What is my crime? He said to Laban. What is my sin? Put it here before our relatives, all my possessions. Have you found anything of yours? Put it here before our relatives, mine and yours, and let them decide between the two of us. I have been with you these 20 years. Your ewes and female goats have not miscarried. I have not eaten the rams from your flock. I did not bring you any of the flock torn by the wild beasts. I myself bore the loss. You demanded payment from, the, from me for I was stolen by day or by night. There I was. The heat consumed me by day and the frost by night. 
and slept fled from my eyes. For 20 years in your household, and you have changed my wages for your two daughters, and six years for your flocks, and you have changed my wages 10 times. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, the fear of Isaac had not been with me, certainly now you would have sent me off empty-handed. But God has seen my affliction and my hard work, and he has issued his verdict last night. So Jacob um, decides to puff out his chest and see what happens. And he calls Laban out. No, the reason God showed up to you and told you to be careful of me is these are all, this is the list of all the ways you have wronged me. These are the list of like what a terrible person you are. And I, on the other hand, am completely innocent. And I've done everything that you ask. And now, because God showed up and warned me, now you're going to try to find some bogus reason to, to pin it on me so that you can have some sort of uh, control here in this situation. So go ahead. Whatever I've taken that's yours, you put it between your people and my people, and let's have court right now. And so... As you can imagine, Laban's not going to let Jacob have the last word. So let's continue to read verse 43. Then Laban answered Jacob, The daughters are my daughters, the sons my sons, and the flocks my flocks. Everything you see is mine. But what, I can, but what can I do today for these daughters of mine or for the children they have born? Come now, let's make a covenant, you and I, let it be a witness between the two of us. So Laban is basically saying, uncle, you win, Jacob. But he's saying it in a way to try to save face. Actually, this is all mine. Actually, I have the power. But I'll tell you what, I'm going to be the more mature person here, Jacob. And these are my daughters and grandkids. And you've been for 20 years. So let's make a pact between the two of us and let's move on. And so... Um, it moves on to uh, a part of Scripture that um, is often misunderstood, taken out of context, and is not as sweet as it sounds, okay? So we're going to read it. I'm going to tell you what you can buy on Amazon and have it put on a piece of pottery, on a wall hanger, nice little coffee mug for you and your bestie that lives long, far away, and then I'm going to tell you what it really means, Okay? <laughs> So verse uh, 48 there. Then Laban said, The mound is witness between you and me today. There, therefore the place was called Galead, also Mitzvah. For he said, May the Lord watch between you and me, where we are out of each other's sight. If you mistreat our daughter, my daughters or take other wives, though no one is with us, understand that God will be a witness between you and me. Laban also said to Jacob, look at the mound marker I have set up between you and me. This mound is a witness and a marker is a witness that I will not pass beyond this mound to you. And you will not pass beyond this mound and this marker to do me heart. The God of Abraham, the gods of Nahor, the gods of their father will judge between us. And we'll get to Jacob's response in a minute. So Laban has his people gather all these stones, build this big pillar, and it's going to be this monument that says, may the Lord keep watch between you and me when we're away from each other. Okay, 
let me under, just let me be really blunt about in the Hebrew and what this really means that Laban was saying is that if you ever cross this area where the stone is, I will kill you. Okay? So the next time that you graciously share that with someone, um, understand that this nice little passive-aggressive thing that he starts off with, the Lord watch, keep watch between you and me when we're away from each other, um, is also trying to play mind games with Jacob of like, God's always watching, Jacob. And if you mistreat my daughters, it's going to happen. And if you cross this threshold and come back to this land, which is the land of Canaan, ironically, I'm going to take you out. And so, um, so that's how Laban is ending this, this relationship. Let's see how Jacob responds in verse 54. Then Jacob offered a sacrifice on the mountain and invited his relatives to eat a meal. So they ate a meal and spent the night on the mountains. Laban got up early in the morning, kissed his grandchildren and daughters, and blessed them. Then Laban left to return to his home. This is the end of this relationship between Laban and Jacob. All right? Jacob's going to go on to different pastures, pun intended, all right, with different people that don't care so fondly for Jacob because of deceit, because of sin, because of envy. But what we have talked about is about what if, what might have been. Well, what might have been is if Jacob had claimed God as his God and surrendered completely his life to following God, his wives probably wouldn't look at him as only a cash cow to either give them sons or give them wealth. Because what's really apparent is that when Leah and Rachel agree to go with Jacob is that all their money from their dad's gone. So I guess we've got nothing to go leave but to go with you because you're a wealthy guy. I mean, don't you find that a little disheartening? That the reason that they're following him is that they're, they're anteing up and they're, they're, they're hedging their bets on who's their best bet to, to have the most success. And so if, if you were to reverse those things, what would happen if they saw that Jacob's God is faithful? That Jacob's God is with him? That Jacob's God has no boundaries, that Jacob's God has blessed his father Isaac and his grandfather Abraham, and everyone is in fear of this God, and those that are with this God, he blesses. So Jacob, if God is telling you to go, he is our God too, and we are going with you because he said so, not because what we might get out of it. What might have been for Jacob, if he would have just trusted God? What would have been for Rachel if she would have just trusted God? What would have been for Sarah and Abraham if they just would have trusted God and let God work things out in the way that he wants to? So yes, we see 
that God works with our messes. And we see that God doesn't reward sin, but he does redeem the based at all on you. God does continue. But I think the Apostle Paul, as he's set in prison and as an, an old man, speaks to this human problem that every single person in this room deals with when it comes to envy or anxiety or wanting to be in control of situations. Paul's reflecting on his life and he's writing to this church in Philippi this church that he founded. He was the first person to tell them about Jesus and teach them about them. What he says to them is so profound. In verse 11 of chapter 4 of Philippians, I do not say this out of need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance I find myself. I know how to make do with little, and I know how to do, make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. Paul is saying, I have learned. It took me a long time, but I've learned that God is the sustenance of all that I will ever need. Then you can go ahead and put that tattoo on your arm or that poster up on your wall or whatever else. Then comes the next verse. I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. But you can't say that unless you admit that God is all that you need. And wherever God has you right now in your life is where he should be. Jacob is still learning this lesson that he needs to surrender and just be obedient and follow God. Not try to manipulate and control God and have God be a genie. I will tell you through my family's journey with cancer, I am amazed I'm amazed at the goodness of God. I'm amazed at things that seem like their darkest days, that there is no light, there is no relief, there is nothing's going to happen of just learning to be content with what God has given us for this day. He works things out for his good. Because the problem with the story of what might have been and what if is we look at the characters and we forget that this whole book is about one character. It is about God Almighty. There's a, an organization that does an amazing work with trying to prep people for sharing the gospel. And one time they did a little movie clip and they were talking about the narratives of life. And often, what's your story? Tell me your story. How's your story? And we're all trying to figure out how to whistle, wiggle, wiggle God in there a little bit so that like, oh, well, they, you know, they mention God. They walk with God. But we forget we're not the main character of the movie or the book that everybody's showing up to watch or read. We're Barista 3 at the end of the clips. We are in the background. And whether you like it or not, when we become in covenant with Jesus Christ, who is the King of kings and Lord of lords and paid for our eternal sins to, yes, once again, the same thing, to redeem sinners from the mess of We have become in covenant with him to be a part of the family business, to tell other people about him and to follow him and to glorify him. And we need to realize who we are. We need to understand that we are redeemed 
sinners who are worth nothing. And we best not throw condemnation at Jacob and Abraham and Isaac and the rest of these characters because they're human beings just like you and I. They're fallen in need of God because of the sin of Adam that has been passed to all men. And that's where we sit today. So I don't know what it is that God has asked you to be obedient. You said, God, here I am. My question to you is, if God has asked you to do something, are you willing to be content and follow him boldly, unafraid of mankind? Or are you trying to get to the end of where God wants you to get, but you're going to do it your way, the safe way, the way that's in control. You're in control. God, it's not your thing, but you're not going to mess with them either. Or are you going to experience the beauty and the pleasure of becoming God's child and being redeemed and forgiven of your sin? Because, see, if Jacob would have enjoyed the journey with God, instead of just trying to figure out how God could work for him, it would have made a huge difference to his wife, to his children, to his father-in-law. But that is the beauty of God. He takes where we are and he makes sure that he is glorified because he is a good God. So wherever you are today, I just encourage you to surrender to the God who is the God of gods who loves you who wants to take the mess in your life because you're a sinner and show his redemptive power so that he can get the honor and glory. Would you pray with me? God, I want to thank you this morning for this chance to look into this family and see, Lord, how you continue to bless, how you continue to work even though they tried every which way to blow it. And Lord, help us to remember this, that you are in complete control. You will take our darkest night and turn it into a beautiful sunrise. You will take the sin that we have created or the lies that we are living, you will free us from that in the name of Jesus and give us freedom to walk in goodness with you. And may all of us learn, as the Apostle Paul learned, to be content with whatever we have, for your grace is sufficient. In Jesus' precious name, amen.